And uh, why don't you guys stand with me if you're able, and we'll read, we're going to read Acts chapter 27 to get the context of what we're going to be seeing in the first 16 verses of Acts 28, and uh, you can just follow along with me. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of a you know it, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we'd sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we'd sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, man, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they'd obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not be headed into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they'd taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that God will, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they'd gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should be run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they'd let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. 
And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. And when he'd said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he'd broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach under which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, uh, the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Uh, You guys can go ahead and be seated. And it gets us to verse 1 of chapter 28. There's a little context of the ship struggles that they had uh, over the last two weeks in Paul's journey to Rome. Now, you'll remember that Paul uh, was accused by the Jews of uh, crimes against the law and the Lord and the temple and the customs. None of these things were true, uh, but the Lord was using these false accusations to get Paul in front of Roman governors, in front of, in front of kings. And uh, Paul saw it as an opportunity to get to Rome where he wanted to be so that he could share the gospel and kind of the hub of the world back then. If the gospel could get to Rome, especially through the, the lips of an apostle, man, the gospel could get throughout the rest of the world. So we see the Lord being faithful to get Paul that direction. And though it was a painful, arduous journey, uh, here we see that, uh, man, uh, shipwreck has happened. And the Lord's faithful, though. Not a, not a soul would perish in this struggle And uh, gets us to verse 1 of chapter 28, that when they had escaped, so now when they had escaped this shipwreck off the coast, they had been, uh, then they found out that the island was called Malta. Read a story this week of a balmy day in the South Pacific where a Navy ship spied smoke coming from one of three huts on an uncharted island. Upon arriving at the shore, they were met by a shipwreck survivor. He said, I'm so glad that you're here. I've been alone on this island for more than five years. And the captain replied, if you're alone on the island, then why do I see three huts? The survivor said, oh, well, I live in one and I go to church in another. Yeah, but what about the third hut? The captain said, the survivor answered with an embittered face, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) Paul's landing on the island of Malta would lead to the island becoming a Christian nation inhabited by the church with no doubt its share of 
church problems. Uh, We'll have the map up a few times today as we read of this journey and a few pictures of Malta. Go ahead, Jonah, and put up uh, the, the pictures of Malta there. Now, Malta, it's the perfect title for this place, a Phoenician word meaning refuge. Uh, If it's a Greek word coming from the nearby uh, uh, owner of it, it would mean honey, speaking of the bees and the honey trade. But the Phoenician native word means uh, refuge. So both work, but it's certainly found to be a place of refuge for Paul and these survivors. It's an island 17 miles long and 9 miles wide, located 60 miles south of uh, Sicily. Its size makes it one of the world's smallest and most densely populated countries. You can kind of see how dense it is in the pictures. It's a member of the United Nations since 1964, a member of the EU since 2004. Malta's also party to the Schengen Agreement since 2007 and member of the Eurozone since 2008. So this is the island that Paul and these uh, survivors would, uh, would land on. In verse 2, we see, and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Anybody here a fan of the oh mid early 2000s series called Lost? Anybody seen that show? Uh, Lost? Man, it used to be somewhat relevant. Uh, Well, if you ever watch it, it's definitely one of those bingeable series. Lindsay and I were binge watching it back in the day. You see that Jack, Kate, and Sawyer all escape from polar bears and smoke monsters and the others. Anybody remember the others? A group of hostile island natives, right? What about Princess Bride? Anybody here Fan of Princess Bride? So that's an older movie, and you guys all know that one, all right? The Princess Bride. You've got Wesley and Buttercup escape three terrors of an island. The Flaming Spurt, the Lightning Quicksand, and the R-O-U-S's. Anybody remember what the R-O-U-S's are? The Rodents of Unusual Sizes, right? On Paul's journey to Rome... He comes in contact with a typhoon with a nickname, Euroclidon, a shipwreck where he rides driftwood to shore, a viper with a hankering for some Apostle Paul, read of that in just a little bit, and the N-O-U-Ks, anybody know what those are? Natives of unusual kindness, right? All right, they're everywhere. Now, natives is a noun translated islanders in verse 2 and, and 4. This word is used. It's barbaroi. Barbaroi, right? Probably where we get our word barbarian. But it was used by the Greeks for any foreigner who spoke their native tongue and not Greek. It indi- but uh, Paul indicates, uh, rather I should say Luke indicates, that these natives were anything but uncouth savages. The uh, writer and preacher and commentator Howard Marshall writes, the people of Malta were of Phoenician extraction and their native language was a Punic dialect, especially in a country area. The people would use their vernacular rather than Greek 
And hence, Luke refers to them as barbarians or uh, natives, using a word which simply meant ignorant of Greek. There may be a hint, though, that they were simple, rustic, and we might say redneck people, okay? Such people might be expected to be hostile to strangers. And if you've ever read missionary biographies, it usually doesn't go really well when that ship first lands ashore as the natives come out to spy them out. And many biographies speak of uh, immediate spearings and cannibalism in front of the the maiden ship vessel out at sea. Uh, But on this occasion, they show unusual kindness to the destitute mariners. Marshall says, lighting a fire and making the strangers welcome. Hainshin recognizes that though the temperatures would not be much lower than about 50 degrees, the ship's company would be wet and cold after such an ordeal. And so the natives show that they are N-O-U-Ks, right? And they show unusual kindness to Paul. Uh, Aristarchus and Luke and the centurion and some 276 passengers, soldiers, prisoners that had been shipwrecked. They made a fire because it was rainy and cold. In fact, just recently, you know, uh, we've been going to a lot of track meets lately. Our kids are in track and now it's getting hot and track meets are hot and we're all getting sunburned and roasting. But it wasn't about a couple weeks ago that we'd be going to a track meet, you know, say on my, on my weather, you know, oh, it's about 50, 49, 50. And I'm thinking, that's not bad. I can t-shirt that or light sweatshirt that. And it is freezing out there. A little bit of wind, a little bit of drizzle, and it is cold coming there dry with like a, with a, you know, a mid layer. Paul's coming off of the shipwreck, cold from the sea, comes out on so, say 50 degree weather. And they're just so kind to make a fire. There's something about a fire that lifts the spirits, right? Critics would say, there's no way they made a fire for 276 people. But man, you know, you can make a couple of good bonfires. That'll keep people kind of toasty. They were welcoming people. And this all just goes along with Paul's testimony of the the different adventures and trials that he had on his missionary journeys. He writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, that he had labors that were more abundant. He had stripes, that's whippings, above measure. He was in prisons frequently and deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 39 lashes. That's 40 minus one for the math whizzes out there. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I've been in the deep. This guy has seen things, you know, uh, in in the ships. He's seen things in the shipwrecks. He's seen things in the emergency floating Uh, He writes later there, he was in perils in the sea. And later on, he says that he was in verse 27, experienced cold and nakedness. These are all the things that he regularly suffered as a minister, a missionary of the gospel. Moving on in our text, so we know that there's those natives of unusual kindness. But when when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them in a fire... A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, 
no doubt this man is a murderer whom those he's escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. So Paul's doing his part. He's helping everyone out. He's serving everyone, gathering uh, a bundle of sticks. Paul wants to be a part of helping out. He's not above serving, even though he's the apostle Paul. Uh, Stott says Paul played his part by gathering a pile of brushwood, but a viper came out because of the heat. You've seen that, you know, at different times you start uh, frustrating a habitat of, in, for different ways and the, the bees come out, the yellow jackets come out, the ants come out, the snakes come out. And, uh, and it would fasten onto Paul's hand. This is more than a bite, you guys. It'd be one thing if it came out, bit him, and then slithered away. This thing fastens itself to Paul's hand, which could be dangerous. In fact, there's a story of these two snakes wriggling around the jungle. And one of the snakes says to the other, are we poisonous? The second snake said, I don't know why. And the first snake said, because I think I just bit my lip. Okay. The snake bites Paul, fastens onto his hand. F.F. Bruce cites a modern parallel from Lawrence of Arabia, where a snake wriggles out of a collection of sticks placed on a fire. Bruce also cites a Greek poem that tells of a murderer who had escaped from a storm at sea and was shipwrecked on the Libyan coast only to be killed by a viper. And so the Greek word literally means viper. And the interesting thing is, though, it caused skeptics to be concerned because there are no poisonous snakes on the island uh, today. Now, not only did Paul get bitten by a poisonous snake, but he actually has this thing hanging. Just imagine the trauma, you guys. Some of you are snake people. You can handle it. Crawl around my arm, whatever. I don't care. I see the things I freak out. I've had enough of them hiss at me and spook me when I'm not expecting it, you know, uh, let alone to have it fasten itself uh, to the arm. It's just freaking everybody out on the islands here. Not to mention, put yourself in Paul's shoes. Over two years, you've been imprisoned in Caesarea for doing nothing wrong. Two weeks are spent directly in the waves of a typhoon being tossed up and down, eating nothing for those 14 days. You're shipwrecked in the cold autumn Mediterranean Ocean, coming to shore on driftwood. You're freezing. You're bruised. You're scratched. You're weak. You're hungry. You've got seaweed in your hair, sand in your buns, salt water on your skin. And now he's just carrying a bundle of sticks, trying to be a servant trying to get warm, and the last thing he needs is to get bit by a snake and have this thing attached to him. You'd think he'd be like, really, Lord? I'm trying to be a missionary here. Could I get a little help? Right? But he doesn't even seem concerned. It says he just shakes the thing off. Now, he gets his vengeance, right? In my reading of this, you know, I'd be like, oh, shake it off, and then it slithers away, and you're just like, you darn thing. Don't you, don't you do that again, you know? But where does he, he's like, oh, I don't really appreciate this. And guess where I'm going to wriggle it or shake it off right into the fire. Like he dead. Plus you can eat it. So there's that. They say it tastes like chicken, but, 
But you see, in all of the trials, the Lord uses every one of these things that Paul has gone through as an occasion to testify of the gospel. And even this snake bite is an opportunity for mission. God is going to use the viper bite because without the viper bite, there would be no verse 8. All right, we'll get to verse 8 and see what's so special about that. But the natives said to one another, no doubt this man's a murderer whom though he's escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. One man said, the only thing matching these natives' high kindness is their high superstition. They were very superstitious. They then jumped to the conclusion that he was a murderer. He escaped drowning, now is being pursued by a god, the goddess Dike, who was the personification of justice and revenge. But he just shakes off the creature in verse 5, into the fire, and suffers no harm. However, they were expecting that, uh, they had a little first aid knowledge, I appreciate this. Well, Luke, the doctor, at least writes about it. They were expecting that he would swell up, or suddenly fall down dead. But after they'd looked for a long time, they saw no harm come to him. They changed their mind, not a murderer, but a god. Like, might as well go to the two extremes, right? Okay. So no swelling, no effects, no poison. Why did Paul not die at this moment? It, you know, there's no poisonous snakes on the island, so maybe it wasn't a poisonous viper. I don't know. Maybe viper always means poisonous. What do I know? But the real answer is because God wasn't done with him yet. Do you remember Acts 23, 11? Jesus promised Paul that he would go to Rome and testify of him. So if you had Jesus appear to you and say, just as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, you'll testify of me of Rome. Imagine just being on that ship in a typhoon. You're just holding on to the main sail or whatever. And everyone's just panicking and freaking out. And you're just like, I mean, I know where we're getting. I know where we're going. Now, we're, we're getting to the other side. It may mean through some hard means, but we're going to get there. It's just like Jesus said to the disciples, let's get on a boat and let's go to the other side. And then they hit the storm in the middle, right? And Jesus is like, guys, I told you we were going to go to the other side. And he's able to make the ends meet, right? And so uh, until... Paul testified in Rome, Paul was indestructible. The fact is true for you and for me. God has appointed a day for us to die, for us to be with him in heaven. Hebrews 9.27 says it's it's appointed for men to die once after that is judgment. And in Revelation 11.7, we see the two witnesses that they finished their testimony. It was then that they died. And for every one of us, God has a plan for us to finish our testimony. It might be, mean that we're young. It might mean that we're old. But we can always rest and not fret that it will be in God's perfect timing. His will be done. Not only was it not Paul's time to die, but there were promises from the Lord of such thing as having victory over things like serpent bites. Now, when I was, uh, I think I was in 8th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, Our family got our first CD player. Technically, it was my older sister's CD player. Sometimes she was nice enough for me to go in and look at those shiny discs 
look at the rainbow that they made, you know, and play some songs. But one of her first CDs was a scripture memory CD. And one of the first songs on there was Luke ten nineteen. God has given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome. It's hard to not sing it. I'm trying. Okay. And to overcome all the power of the enemy. Okay. So God has given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, right? Or the great commission given by Mark. Jesus has given it. Mark's writing it down, probably through Peter. Uh, These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. And they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will be no mean, by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That doesn't mean that you just go around sticking your hand in the rattlesnake den. Like, oh, check this out, you know. But there will be times where the Lord is just going to do super miracles so that the, your testimony time can be completed. And so they go from that, whoa, he's not swollen up. He's not dead. He's not a murderer. He's a God. And it just shows how fickle folk are, right? Remember this in Acts 14, 8, uh, 8 through 19, uh, where the same thing happened in uh, Lystra. It was actually vice versa. Uh, Paul and Silas healed um, uh, a Lystran man who was paralyzed. Uh, Listerine, some call him. And uh, when he was healed, they thought he was, they were a god. And so they happened to be right outside the temple of um, Zeus. And so the temple priests came out and tried to make these. They all supposed they were gods. They brought garlands out. They started trying to sacrifice animals to them. And Paul stood up and said, no, no, no. What are you doing? We are not gods. We are men just like you. And then he shares the gospel with them. And it says with all these words of Paul saying, stop, stop, stop. We're not gods. Uh, Acts 14 tells us, and they could scarcely stop them from offering sacrifice to them. Okay, we finally got that stopped. And like the next verse says, then the Jews came in and stirred up the crowd and uh, the whole multitude stoned Paul and Barnabas. And he was, uh, Paul and uh, Silas. So Paul was taken up dead there, if you know the story. So how fickle public opinion is. And they were equal in error. Uh, He's not a murderer and he's not a god. Uh, It was John Stott that says the truth was neither extreme. Instead of being drowned or poisoned by dike, Paul was actually protected from both fates by Jesus. So that goddess wasn't trying to kill him, but the God of the universe was protecting him. Okay, And so these kind natives, there's a little lesson in these kind natives before we move on. Uh, many of us, we read of the N-O-U-Ks, the natives of unusual kindness, and we're just kind of like, oh, they're precious. They're so sweet. How kind, unusually kind. And in our minds, we think, ah, bless their bones, you know, um, They don't even need a missionary. They didn't even need a missionary to get to them, right? Because they're so kind. They just are not depraved and they're not unrighteous and they're just sweet. And, you know, Paul just got a little refreshment from them. And then he went on to those wicked Romans, you know. And if we're not careful, the kindness of the natives of Malta will cause our hearts to lose our conviction edge 
that they need a savior. Okay? And there's a lesson in that uh, for us today as well. Because as God has called us to leave from this church building and to go out and share the gospel with friends, family, teammates, coworkers, neighbors, strangers, you know, whatever, when we meet the nice ones, we're often less prone to feel the urge to share the gospel with them. Because they're okay, right? I was going to really try to do it well this service and pull the rug out from under you guys and be like, these guys are already saved. And you'd be like, yeah, for sure, they're nice, you know. Um, but they're heathen, okay? Uh, they don't have a savior, the saving grace of Jesus yet. And they will perish and go to hell without believing in the saving work of the cross of Christ. And so there's lesson in that. C.S. Lewis says, they are lost men, lost in their own niceness. And that's our neighbors out there. Those are the people that we see every day that we love. And, you know, they, they bake us a lemon bar, you know, when, when we have, uh, you know, we, when we lose a, a grandma, you know, they bring something nice over, you know, or they fix our weed eater or they fix our, you know, they come over and they mow our lawn for us or they, you know, they're just shoveling our snow and just no need to share with them. Okay. But they're lost and they're lost in their own niceness. Kindness does not alter their need for God. They're nice people. They're nicely dressed. They've got nice hair and nice fingernails. But they're terribly lost. And the wrath of God towards sinners abides upon them. I remember listening to Alistair Begg. uh, It was in 2010 when I taught Acts for the Church last. And this was in my mind and found it in my old notes. So I'm just going to quote him on what he says about this. He says, here's a word to nice people. Your mom told you to be kind, to be nice. That is fantastic. And the world is in need of such kindness. But do you know that Jesus died on the cross for kind people too? Because kind people were separated from God because of their sin. Even kind people are sinners. Your very kindness may be the very mechanism that prevents you from trusting in Jesus. There's no reason to trust in Jesus until I find that I need to trust in Jesus. I only find out when you read your Bible, you find that all of your kindness and niceness sits before God's holiness like filthy rags. In comparison to God's standards and holiness, we find that we can never be kind enough. Listen to this, you guys. How kind do you need to be to get to heaven? Perfectly kind? Yes, Then you know you're busted. People keep from trusting in Jesus because they think they've messed up so much that nobody would forgive them. They need to know God's grace. Others think they don't need Jesus because they're so unbelievably kind. Philanthropists, beware. I think that many kind people frequent this church. Very kind people. It might be their kindness, though, that keeps them from yielding to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I've been so appreciative of watching some younger believers, newer believers, as they grow and mature. And I'd have conversations with them in their younger 
you know, walk with the Lord and they would just be talking about the, the, the people around them and even the ranchers around them. This is kind of in the context of my ranch ministry. And there are so many nice people. It's as if they're almost Christians, but without Jesus. But the more that they are in the word, these, these people have vocalized that they begin to see the urgency of sharing Christ with those friends. And so there's a lesson for the kind people. You know, Paul himself was probably a kind guy before uh, he became Paul. Uh, you know, of course, he had blood on his hands and he'd take people prison to prison. But, you know, he thought he was doing the right thing for the Lord. He was blameless concerning breaking the law. But he said, I wouldn't have really known what sin was until I read that part in the law, you shall not covet. And he was like, oh, you got me. And the thing about covetousness is that's something that goes on inside here. Only Paul knew that he was doing it. Everything else on the outside, he looked like a whitewashed wall, right? Or a bowl that had been cleansed on the outside. But inside, he knew he was full of dead man's bones because there was this thing going on that nobody knew about And he had been coveting. Kind people beware. Because it might be even the pride in your kindness or that you're resting in your own self-righteousness of kindness that you aren't able to sing the, the hymn, nothing in my hands do I bring, simply to the cross do I cling. You're not able to sing that because you've got kindness in your hands. Oh, I wish I could cling to the salvation of Jesus, but I'm such a good person. See the, you see the irony in all of that? And so, uh, so I invite you kind people to come to Jesus today and be saved and escape the fires of hell of all eternity and know the paradise of God that was purchased for sinners of which I am. And many others in this room would say, Hey, that's me, a sinner saved by grace. Verse seven In that region, there was an estate to the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So you have this Publius, uh, it's Roman, that means popular. His title, that he was the chief man, is confirmed by archaeological evidence and inscriptions that have been found. His name has been found on the island. Uh, He was probably the governor of this island of Malta. And just another wonderful thing, he was a governor of unusual kindness in that he received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So he welcomed them as guests, lodged them and treated them as friends. And this is just crazy. If you've read the Pilgrim's Progress and you just read of Pilgrim and he goes to all these different places in his adventure, you know, he'll go through the hard stuff and the hard, you know, and then he'll have these little moments of like some people come out of the woodwork that are just kind and bring refreshment to him on his journey. And uh, that's, I mean, Paul's got to be pinching himself. Like what is going on? Like things have been so hard and now we've got these natives that are so kind to us. And then we've got this governor of the island who invites us into his home. Critics, maybe not all 276, they say, but maybe, right? Is it that hard to say, hey, 276 people, we can put you up and give you a shelter and, you know, give you some food to eat. He was super welcoming, treated them as friends. He did what Hebrews 13, 2 says, don't forget to entertain strangers. 
For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. That's New Testament stuff there, guys. Be kind to the stranger because they might be an angel out doing some work for the Lord. They are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who've inherited salvation, Hebrews tells us. So perhaps they were entertaining angels. Maybe they didn't know that they were definitely entertaining apostles. That's a pretty good thing. That's maybe a close second to entertaining angels, right? He opened up his home to us, Luke says. Um, Presumably... Uh, maybe a selection, maybe not all two, 76 of them. And for three days, he was lavish in his hospitality. Look at verse eight. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So he would have this dysentery with the fever. It was an infection of the intestines marked by severe diarrhea. Okay, Dr. Longnecker um, how'd you like to have that? I would probably be called that if I was a doctor, Dr. Longnecker, big Adam's apple at your service, uh, tentatively diagnosed this from reading it as Malta fever, adding that it was long common in Malta, Gibraltar and other Mediterranean locales. The microorganisms, which caused it was apparently identified in 1887 and traced to the milk of Maltese goats. And this poor guy, they don't know this yet. It's going to be 1,800 years before they figure out that it's from a bacteria in goat milk. What are they feeding this poor guy? He's like, oh, I'm thirsty. Go get some goat milk. Bring it over. Just like, oh, it's refreshing, but oh, I feel worse, you know? You know? Medicine has really improved over the last couple thousand years. Am I right? So... Longnecker goes on to say, although a vaccine has been developed, the fever lasts on average for four months and sometimes persists even for two or three years. This guy had been suffering from Malta fever. If I were Paul and all the shipwreck survivors, I'd be like, hey, I'll pass on the goat milk that brings Malta fever and I'll have a Malta milkshake, please. Okay. Malted. Okay. Anyways. Thank you. So Publius, now this is one interesting thing about Publius. Publius's conversion, he, he would end up getting saved, would lead to Malta being the first Christian nation in the West and one of the first in the world. And Publius would be martyred around 125 during the persecution of Emperor Hadrian. Just incredible church history there. Look in verse 9. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And so they heard of the healing of Publius's father, and they, this is often happens in the scriptures, so all of the locals that were hurt, and probably drinking that goat milk and were sick of the dysentery came, they were healed. It's interesting, the language for the healing here is different than the one used of Publius's father. This one is the verb therapeo which is where we get therapeutic. And so some have thought, oh, maybe they just stopped, you know, they shifted and maybe drinking the goat's milk or whatnot, and they, they were therapeutically healed. Um, but most still believe it was still miraculous healings that were being done that led and helped with that revival. Again, we'll close out here today. And Clay, why don't you come on up? We'll close out thinking about the great commission of Jesus these were his final words before he ascended into heaven. 
telling us to go and to preach the gospel. But Mark's has these very interesting promises that the other commissions in the other gospels don't have. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Have we seen that in the book of Acts? We've seen that in the book of Acts. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. We've seen that in the book of Acts. We've seen that in the book of Acts, right? They will take up serpents. Saw that today, right? Uh, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. What do you think drinking deadly on Malta? What was the dangerous thing there, right? The Malta milk balls, okay? Don't, don't eat those, okay? They're from the goats. And if they lay hands on the sick, they will recover. It's just so interesting that um, they laid hands on Publius's father and he was healed. We see so many points from Mark's great commission just here on the island of Malta. Do you think that the Lord would have the same thing for us just in this little town of Prineville? That the Lord would have us go out and preach the gospel walking in obedience to his word. And as we are out there open mouth about the things of Jesus, there's going to be the critics. There's going to be the people that are harsh against us. There's going to be natural disasters as the, as the wicked one would maybe bring those things against us. Um, and I think that we could just go forth with the confidence that, Hey, you know what? The Lord's appointed us to preach the gospel. We are invincible until our time is up. All right. Uh, And so they honored us in many ways. Verse 10 says, after they had been healed, all of these natives, they'd already had unusual kindness, but now they're honoring Paul for uh, just what the Lord has done there. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. The gratitude of the islanders was expressed in giving gifts and providing supplies. Well, you guys... Uh, Oh, one more verse. I was going to say stand with me, but it just says in verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship. And that just tells us that they spent three months on the island of Malta. So stand up with me, you guys. We'll close in a song and just a little reflection of just the word to us today. Press these things into our hearts, Lord, as you've taught us today would you change us we're encouraged by looking at the faith of paul and your faithfulness to him we see your faithful hand through the imprisonment and putting him with such a kind centurion julius who was kind and showed kindness to the prisoners and even kept the prisoners from being killed uh so that Paul could be spared. How wonderful that is. We see your faithful hand to just let every soul on that ship survive. And we just give you glory 2,000 years later for just your kindness and your mercy on those shipwrecked victims. And wow, to see the natives of unusual kindness, that that was an unusual thing for them to just be so welcoming. And just for whatever reason, you put that into their heart. And Lord, we pray that as we go out and share the gospel, Lord, that you would just give us favor with the people, that we would have opportunity to pray for them and pray for their healing and share the gospel with them. And 
that there would just be unusual kindness. People would say, man, they're normally not nice, but for some reason they're really kind to you. And and we would just be able to give you glory as that opens up ministry opportunity for us. And maybe you're here today as I just move to just kind of speaking forth some prophecy a little bit towards you listening just with a heart and attitude of prayer. Maybe you're here today and you're a very kind person, but the Lord was just touching your heart today to say it's not about being kind. You still have sin in your life. Covetous, lust. You've, you've been kindly cheating on your taxes and you've been kindly ignoring the Lord's day, the Sabbath. You've kindly been participating in secret sin and everyone thinks you're the kindest person on the block. And, but I know that you, you need a savior. And the Bible tells us that there is none who has not sinned. No, not one. So just today, if that's you and you're just that kind person, we would just invite you to come to salvation with us. And just what you need to do today is you just need to lay down all of your self-righteousness and what you've been resting on to get you to heaven and to curry you favor with God. And just lay all that aside and just say, Lord, I got nothing. I just humble myself before you and confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I just repent of those sins and I come to you as a savior. Save me, Lord. Wash away my sins and give me a new heart that I can live for you and that I could still be kind, but that I could be kind for your glory. And I can be kind without a hidden agenda. And I can be kind because it's a fruit of your presence in my life. And I've been made in your image to be kind like the kind creator the God of the heavens. So I invite all of you kind people to come to salvation today. Don't look back. Run to Jesus today. And let's worship the Lord closing in this song. Go ahead, Clay. Amen. What a great song, Clay. It's just so neat to see the worship leaders led by the Lord, what songs to pick out. and Went right along with it. We had a elders dinner at my house this week with their families and uh, Adam came up with a phrase. He was just talking and he said, ministry goal, blah, 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 ministry goal. It's like, I like that ministry goals. I'm like, guys, what are your ministry goals? I'll tell you mine. And everyone leaned in, said, here's a ministry goal. I'm, I don't know if I should share it to you guys, but just so you know, it's a goal of mine to end the services on time. Okay. That's really a ministry goal of mine. And the Lord's really working in me to just see our elders and our leadership that we're a team we're all equal as a team our children's ministry workers if you serve in children's ministry you're part of the team worship team it's all we're all a team here and i just want to just like we're all full of the spirit being led by the spirit on how we're serving and i just want to be a team player and not be the guy that just hijacks everyone else's ministry so went a little long with worship but uh, you know little better. All right. So ministry goals. What's your ministry goal? You guys love you guys. Have a great week. Come on in here to uh, have some donuts with us and coffee. Get to know one another. Love you guys.